We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 this morning, and you can turn there if you have a copy of God's Word with you. We started last week a series on the Ten Commandments, and we began by just kind of refreshing our memory of what those Ten Commandments are. So I want to start there this morning, just a list for you that we're going to cover each week. And this is a great time uh, to commit these to memory if you don't already know these. A good time to bring these back to remembrance. Number one, do not worship any other gods. Number two, do not make idols. Number three, do not misuse the name of the Lord. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not give false witness. And number 10, do not covet. Uh, We made mention last week of how Jesus was challenged in the New Testament scriptures with asked with the question of what is the greatest commandment? Over 600 Old Testament commands and laws that have been given to the nation of Israel. And so Jesus was asked, what's the greatest or what's the most important? What's the most significant one? And Jesus would give an answer by saying the greatest command is to love the Lord your God. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself on these two Hang all of the law in the prophets, Jesus would say. And so Jesus really summarized or condensed into two um, over 600 commands that were given in the Old Testament scriptures by saying we are to love God first and we are to love one another. But uh, there is benefit for us to revisit the Ten Commandments and revisit these commands of the Lord. And there's benefit for you and I today in keeping and following the commands that God has given. Nine of the ten having been repeated in the New Testament, the one exception as repeated for us to follow and keep is the Sabbath. And uh, we'll talk about that when we get to command number four. But today we want to focus in on commandment number two, do not make idols. Do not make idols. Now, As was already mentioned, Connor had shared just an excellent passage from the Psalms where it speaks about the idols of the nations, those that have made idols and how they don't speak and they can't talk, they can't listen, they can't hear, they can basically do nothing and yet they're worshipped. And you and I might be in a position today living in the United States where we'd say, man, idol worship doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. I don't really see carved images everywhere that I go. And I don't really see a lot of people constructing these idols or images to worship. And yet, um, idol worship is very prevalent in so many ways in our own culture and literally around the world as well. And so we'll talk about that this morning. We want to focus in this morning on Exodus chapter 20. Verses 4 through 6, as we look at this second command that God would give of the Ten Commandments, do not make idols. Follow with me, beginning with verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This would be a great time uh, to really stir up the anger of animal lovers by telling you right here, God is laying out You know, do not make an idol for yourselves of anything that is on the earth or under the earth or in the water under the earth. And you can just highlight that and say, see, so many of us are making idols out of our animals. We are worshiping them. We are providing in ways for them that God never intended. I won't do that. 
this morning. I don't want to make the scripture say something it's not. So I want to focus in on the attention of idols this morning and begin with several truths that I think are absolutely necessary. Number one, knowing that God has commanded us to not make idols should lead us to the conclusion that the attention and focus of our worship must always be exclusively on the Lord. Knowing that God has commanded to not make idols, to not construct or to make any image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth or below the earth, knowing that God has commanded this should cause us to this realization to understand that the attention and focus of our worship must always be exclusively on the Lord. God's command here, if you look again at verse 4, you shall not make for yourself. This is something that so often as believers in Christ we can look past, but I want to share with you this morning so often when we find ourselves directing our attention, our focus, and at times maybe even our worship and service to something other than God, it is because we have made for ourselves An idol. And again, traditionally, we think of idols as carved images. But that's not necessarily always what an idol needs or is in our lives or the lives of others. There should never be actions on the part of the believer that would demonstrate a focus of worship towards anyone or anything else other than our God. The Lord must always be the object of our worship. The Lord must always be the resting place of our trust, our faith, and our confidence. There is no need to hedge our commitments with anyone or anything else. The very actions on the part of the nation of Israel to make any other image would be a demonstration of dependence or confidence in something or something else. The very action on the part of the nation of Israel to even consider let alone follow through with making any idol or image would be a demonstration of a lack of trust and confidence in the Lord. God was always to be their focus. God is always to be our focus. He was always to be on their hearts, in their minds, and on the focus uh, focus of their attention and worship. Jesus would express this again in the first and great commandment, That is reiterated to us in the New Testament, and it should be true for you and I today as well, that the attention and focus of our worship must always be exclusively on the Lord. I had the opportunity yesterday to go to a a track meet for my daughter, and uh, it was uh, a a large meet where there were all kinds of schools that were there, and there were people in the stands, and I was sitting in a particular area of the stands, and her... um, event was coming up and I was watching her to find out where she was going to be and what lane she was going to be in. They announced her lane and she was in a lane that was closer to the stand so I couldn't really see because she's really close to where the stands were. So I made my way through, went down to the very front and I'm sitting front row right against the rail there so I could watch her. I had my camera out and I'm going to videotape her and I focused the video on her. There were seven or eight other uh, runners in that particular event but the camera was focused on my daughter. And so when that race started, the camera followed her. There were some that were ahead of her. There were some that were behind her. But the camera followed her every step of the way. It followed her. Why? Because I was not there for any of the other runners. (laughs) 
As much as I want to see everybody do well and I care about everybody, I didn't care about how they did. I cared about how my daughter did. And so I wanted to see her raise. I wanted to see her jump over the hurdles. I wanted to see how she would finish and how she would do. And no one else really mattered to me at that point in time other than her. And so the video shows that. If you watch the video, you would have no problem knowing who it was that was recording that video. It was someone that wanted to watch her race. That's why I was there. In many ways, you and I as believers have to understand the same thing is true for you and I. We are here not for anyone or anything other than the Lord. He is why we exist. He is why we live. He is why we serve. He is why we worship. And so anytime that our focus and the direction of our focus of our worship is not on the Lord, someone or something has become an idol to us. God is why we are here. And he should be the attention and focus of our worship. Exclusively, always, it should be on him. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 3, after Moses had received all this instruction from the Lord, he would present it to the people of Israel. And this is what it says in Exodus 24, 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice to Moses. And they said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Think of this. Moses receives the commandments from the Lord. He receives instruction from the Lord. And he comes and he delivers it to the people, to the nation of Israel. And when they hear it, they respond and say this, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. It's, it's amen to all that God has said, let it be done. We will obey, we will follow, we will do all that God has said. That was their commitment. Doesn't that sound like us sometimes, like, we, we ask for commitments on Sunday mornings or something's preached on Sunday morning and we would say, listen, you know, if you're going to serve the Lord, stand up and say, I will serve the Lord. He is going to be the priority for my life today. If I were to say to you, hey, here's what I want to do. I want everybody in the congregation, if you are committing today, if you're committed that God is your God and you will only serve him, stand up with me this morning. I, I would expect everybody would stand. That's my expectation would be. That's what I would expect. That's what the nation of Israel is doing here. God gives his word and Moses gives it to the people. And the people say, we will do all that God has commanded. We will keep and obey all that God has said. But would they? Do we? I mean, the answer to that is a resounding, repetitive no. Because we don't do all that God asks of us. We don't keep all that God says. And if you remember last week, we were reminded that the very purpose or point of the law was to point us to Christ. Was to reveal our own sinfulness. To reveal the reality that not one of us can fully keep all that God demands. We cannot be completely holy apart from God. And so God desires this, but we fail. And the nation of Israel proclaimed, we will do all that God says, but they would fail. 
Just a few chapters later in Exodus chapter 32, Moses is meeting with the Lord on the mountain and the people of Israel are going, growing restless. Just listen in to what happens in Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, who was another one of their leaders, and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, fashioned it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do you remember how God introduced himself in Exodus chapter 20 at the beginning when he would give the Ten Commandments? This is what he said in Exodus 20 verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God reminds them of who he is and what he's done. And here we are chapters later in the book of Exodus when the people of Israel are growing restless and they make for themselves a, a golden calf And they attribute and give credit to this golden calf as the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt. That is what is called idol worship. And what a tragic thing that so quickly the people of Israel would forget their God. So quickly they would forget all that God had done and revealed to them about who he is and what he was capable of. And we can be quick to judge because of that. We can be quick to say, how could they ever forget? And yet, don't we do the same thing? How quickly we forget what our God has done and what our God is capable of doing. It wasn't just the people, it was also Aaron, who was one of their leaders, that would give in to this. A little later on in Exodus 32, verse 19, it says, As soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and dancing, his anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. They said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Moses is saying to Aaron as one of their leaders, what have you done? What have the people of Israel done to make even you turn? What have they done that you've allowed an idol to come into this camp, that you've allowed another God to be worshipped instead of the one true living God? And Aaron's like, listen, you know the people, they're evil. They go after evil. And, and, and they, they told me, listen, Moses is gone. We don't know where he is. And look at what, what Aaron says. So I said to them, verse 24, let anyone who has gold take it off. They gave it to me. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Have you ever seen that before? It's ridiculous. What what a what a what a explanation. Moses is angry. I mean, Aaron, let's let's give Aaron a little bit of credit because Moses is hot. And he just he just ground up 
the golden calf, put it in water, and made people drink it. So Aaron's like, okay. <laughs> like, but that's his explanation. I, I told the people, Turn off, take off your gold. I put it in the fire, and boom, calf came out. I don't know how it happened. Well, that's not exactly what happened because earlier on it says that Aaron received the gold from their hand. He fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. So here's the truth. He fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Here's what Aaron said. They gave it to me. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Now it's humorous to me to read that now, but, but why I want to point this out is isn't that so much like us when we give excuse or try to give a reasonableness to the sin that we so often embrace? This is not a small issue. This is a breaking of the first and second commands of God to have no other gods, to make no other idols, to not bow down and worship them, and yet here we are. What was initially we will obey all turned into we will do the direct opposite, and even Aaron gave in to the demands of the people. You see, it's easy even today when our timetable is not followed, when our plans do not go as we had planned, or when things happen that we do not understand to seek to take matters into our own hands. We begin to trust or place confidence elsewhere other than the Lord. And in many ways, what we begin to do is construct a form of idol for ourselves to trust or follow in above even the Lord. The attention and focus of our worship must always be exclusively on the Lord. Secondly, our service and dedication must be exclusively to the Lord. God commands them here concerning these idols, do not make for yourself these. And then he says in verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. So he says don't make them, but in addition to not making them, don't serve them, don't bow down to them. So not only should the attention and focus of our worship be exclusively on the Lord, our service and dedication must be exclusively to the Lord. It's one thing to remove trust from being on the Lord and and to remove our confidence or faith of being in the Lord. It's a step further to then take that trust or take that service and place it on someone or something else as the object of our worship. I mean, how often do we think that it's better to trust in ourselves than trust the Lord? How often do we even trust our own thinking or our own desires rather than the thinking or desires of the Lord? And, And we're guilty of this at times. It's what the nation of Israel did, as we've already mentioned, and sometimes we're guilty as well. It's prevalent in our culture today, or even amongst the community of those that call themselves followers of Christ, to shift the service and dedication that should be on the Lord to others or other things. Culture dominates. Culture rules. Political correctness rules. Inclusivity rules. Many have set up for themselves the idol of culture, popularity, status, or wealth. And in doing so, they are willing to follow with actions of commitment and dedication no matter how far away from obedience to the Lord that may take them. If you and I as believers in Christ are willing to disobey or ignore the clear instruction of the Lord in His Word, if we are willing to ignore the clear instruction of God in his word so that we might be accepted in the sight of man, then man has become an idol to us. 
If we're willing to disobey or ignore God's word or instruction of God's word for the acceptance of our culture, of our employer, of our friends, of our careers, or for any other reason, those reasons have become idols to us. If we ever come to the point where we are bowing and serving the created rather than the creator, we are guilty of idol worship. And we so often do this, we compromise on our values, our morals, not because they're what we value or what we have morals about, but because of what God has said. We compromise on what God has commanded or God has instructed for the acceptance of someone or something else. It's a form of idol worship. It's prevalent in the workplace, it's prevalent in universities, it's prevalent in relationships, it's prevalent across the board. Remember why we are here and who we are here for. It is not for ourselves, but for the Lord. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works which God has ordained before him that we should walk in them. We are here for the Lord. And our service and our dedication must be exclusively to him. We should serve him alone, trust in him alone, follow him alone. Number three, our trust, our faith, and our confidence must be exclusively found in the Lord. God will go on to say in verse five, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I am a jealous God. God does not want, nor should he ever be, one of many gods in our lives. God does not want, nor should he ever be, one of many gods in our lives. God does not want our divided attention. He wants our undivided attention. Have you ever tried talking to someone that is distracted? Uh, My four-year-old Leah, if I want to get Leah's attention or talk to her, and there's cartoons on in the background, or like Minnie Mouse is on in the background on the TV, and I'm trying to talk to her, I can tell by her eyes that she's not listening to the word I said because she's watching Minnie, like behind me. And even if I say, Leah, look at Daddy, look at Daddy, and she looks at me, it's not very long before her eyes kind of go like this, and she's looking behind me. You know what I have to do in order to get her undivided attention? I need to shut off what's distracting her. Many times as believers in Christ, we are so guilty of surrounding ourselves with so much that distracts us from our worship of God alone that our attention is divided. Our commitments are divided. Our dedication is divided. Our trust and our confidence is divided. God does not want our divided trust, attention, faith, and confidence He wants your undivided faith, trust, and confidence. It should be found exclusively in the Lord. That's why, again, reminding back to Exodus 21 and 2, the Lord God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Be reminded yet again of who it is that our trust is founded in and what he's done. The Lord must always be the one to whom we attribute glory, honor, and credit for all that he has done in our lives. He's the source of our trust, the source of our confidence, the source of our faith. He is our foundation. He is the reason that we are forgiven, the reason that we are alive, the reason that we have life, the reason that we have freedom from sin. And my, how quickly we are prone to forget that. I was thinking this week of those that were the closest followers of Jesus that witnessed all of the miracles that he would perform. Can you imagine walking with Jesus? 
watching him give the blind their sight, watching him cleanse lepers, watching him talk to someone who was paralyzed and tell them, stand up, pick up your bed, and just go and walk on out of here, and that's what happens. Can you imagine being at the tomb of Lazarus, who was so dead that he was told by those that loved Lazarus when Jesus said, take away the stone from the tomb, they told him, Jesus, like, he, he stinks right now because he's been dead. And to watch as an eyewitness as Jesus would say, Lazarus, come forth. And the one that was dead comes walking out of that grave. Can you imagine being an eyewitness to Jesus walking on the water in the middle of the night? Can you imagine Jesus being asleep in the boat and there's a great storm that happens up on the sea and the disciples, fishermen who were trained fishermen who lived their life on the water were terrified and afraid that they were going to die because of how severe the storm was. And Jesus wakes up from being sound asleep without any panic and with authority commands the wind and the waves to be still and they obey him. Can you imagine being an eyewitness to Jesus taking a young boy's lunch, taking what could be held in two hands and with that feed over 5,000 people? so that they were full and there were leftovers. Can you imagine witnessing all of that? And in one night, when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, forgetting it, scattered. Can you imagine seeing all that, being eyewitnesses to that, and after witnessing Jesus being crucified and being put in a tomb, completely forget that he said and promised that he would raise from the dead in three days. But that's what they would do. After Jesus was in that tomb and three days later they were returning to the tomb expecting to see a dead body still there to further anoint it for burial. Because they would so quickly forget all that he had done, all that he had proclaimed and all that he had taught. So do we. We so quickly forget what the God that we serve is capable of. We so quickly forget the power, authority that our God has. Because if we would remember that always, there would never be a reason or time for our trust our confidence or faith to be placed in anyone or anything other than him. He exclusively should be the one that we have our faith, trust, and confidence in. We gotta hurry number four quickly as we close. Our love and obedience exclusively to the Lord invites the blessing of the Lord. This passage can be troubling to some as they read where he says that I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love and keep my commandments. God is very clear throughout his word. Obedience invites the blessing of the Lord, and disobedience invites cursing. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 16 tells us that 
Fathers will not be put to death because of their children, nor children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Each person is responsible for their own sin. Each one will give an account for their own sin, not for the sins of their fathers. But what the passage is reminding us here is that there is... There are severe consequences to sin and there are generational consequences that often follow in specific to idol worship and the worshiping and setting up of other gods. Patterns and influences do not quickly fade and unless the Lord intervenes, there are generation after generation after generation of consequences that are reaped. One commentator said this commandment contains a warning for future generations. God is saying if we don't deal with idolatry in our generation, we'll pass it down to our children and to their children. Children learn to handle life by watching their parents. When children observe mom and dad running to a bottle, a pill, another romance, or shopping spree to make them feel good about themselves, they follow that pattern. When children watch their parents spend time, money, and energy on worldly pursuits, they naturally copy those values and will raise their own children to do the same. However, God also promises blessing for those who model godly values for their children. Just as children learn to run to idols by watching their parents do so, they can learn to turn away from idols by observing their parents giving God his rightful place in their lives. I wonder what are we modeling for those that watch our lives when it comes to who it is we worship, who it is we serve, and who it is that has our undivided trust, confidence, and faith as we walk and live through this life. Do not make for yourselves idols. Do not bow down, worship, or serve them. Serve, worship, trust, have confidence, and place your faith in the Lord and in Him alone. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the confidence that we can have in you. I pray that we truthfully, Lord, with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our strength would love you that that would be seen in our words and our actions and the motivations of our hearts, that our undivided attention, Lord, our undivided worship, our undivided trust, our undivided faith, our undivided confidence, our undivided obedience and devotion would be to you and to you alone, our God. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.